Grown and The Moth are excited to partner with Graduate Hotels to celebrate storytelling across generations. Visit any of Graduate's 30-plus hotels and you'll discover storytelling is at the heart of everything they do, especially when it comes to their unique, locally-inspired interior designs. Not only has The Moth hosted a series of open-mic story slams at Graduate Hotels, but members of our staff have also had the privilege of visiting graduate hotels as guests. From Ann Arbor, Michigan to Oxford, England, our team has experienced firsthand the rich storytelling and memorable design touches that make a graduate stay so special. So the next time you're visiting a beloved college town or dropping by your alma mater, stay at graduate hotels and save up to 30% with exclusive code MOTH. Thanks again to Graduate Hotels for their generous support and their commitment to telling the unique stories of their local communities. Go book your stay now at graduatehotels.com and remember to use code MOTH for up to 30% off. So I'm sitting on the docks of Fire Island. The sun is setting behind the bay and there are seagulls diving into the water. And every once in a while, a ferry is pulling in to the dock. And so there's just a lot of commotion and it hits the dock every once in a while. And there are kids riding their bikes up and down the dock and screaming and with joy. And there's actually a playground right there, too. Off in the distance at the restaurant, there's a live band playing. And I'm sitting there with my parents, uh, and we've got a box of pizza between us. And it's, it's the worst pizza I've ever had because it's made by a bunch of 12-year-olds at the town pizzeria. But in that moment, it tastes so good because it's my favorite time with my family all year when we get to watch this beautiful sunset and be amongst this beautiful community and be together eating pizza. Why are 12-year-olds making your pizza? Like, what's going on? That's what I want to know. They got their food permits? Or, like, they licensed? I hope so, <laughs> to but... Make pizza? The thing with the community we go to is everybody's um, barefoot. It's like a barefoot community. So I I think the kids making pizza are barefoot, but I definitely walked into the pizza shop without shoes Was it on. like a legit pizza place? Did they have a, like a sign like, oh, Luigi's Pizza or something like that? Yeah, oh. I didn't just buy pizza okay. from a bunch of 12-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Grown. 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 Hello, I'm Fonzo. And I'm Aliza. And this is Grown, a podcast from the moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. In this episode, we've got two stories on how food creates community, builds bonds, and stays with us long after the meal is over. First up is Luna Askeray with a delicious story. Um, Thanksgiving at my house is not your typical Thanksgiving. Um, half of my family is from Spain, so we always add our little Spanish twist to it. We have um, tortilla de patata and gambas al ajillo instead of, what do you guys have here, green bean casserole? I don't know. Um, and my favorite part of Thanksgiving was actually this apple cake. And it was typically Thanksgiving was held at my aunt's house, so I just assumed that she was the mastermind behind it. But I actually found out that it was my grandfather, which completely surprised me because he's never in the kitchen. He's either reading a French newspaper or watching the Spanish news channel. So when I found out it was him, I was like, one, this is the perfect opportunity to get the recipe. And two, I can actually have a time and place to connect with him, which I didn't really have before that. So ever since then, I would go early on Thanksgiving morning and 
we'd pull out this old recipe book that had all these food stains on it, and I would mix together the wet and the dry ingredients, and he would double-check my measurements, and then I would sit there mesmerized by the fact that he could peel an apple in one entire rind, and we'd combine everything and then go over and consult with my uncle about the placement of the cake in the oven because no one wanted to disrupt the turkey's cooking time, even though no one wanted to eat it anyway. And then it almost felt like instantly the house would just smell like cinnamon and apples. And at the end of the night, when everyone got that thick slice, we'd just get this big round of applause and everyone would be like, oh my God, it's so amazing. It tastes so good. And me and my grandfather would just look at each other from across the room and be like, yeah, we did that. Um, And it just became a tradition that I enjoyed and always looked forward to. But as I got older, so did he. And one Thanksgiving morning, he was sitting at the kitchen table, and I assumed that he was waiting to make the apple cake. And I was unpacking the groceries, and I was putting the apples on the table, and he looks at me, and he goes, Luna, what are you doing? And I'm shocked. I mean, I knew that he was beginning to forget things, but I didn't think that he would forget this. It was our tradition. It was our time of bonding. It was our time to connect and he had forgotten. And I told him, I'm like, we're making the apple cake, you know, the one that we always make. And he goes, apple cake, can you teach me? And now I'm terrified because he was my teacher. And now I have to be his teacher because I don't want this tradition to die. And so I tell him, I'll teach you. And as I'm telling him that I'm putting the sugar and the eggs in one blender and I'm putting the flour and the cinnamon in another bowl and then we're going to combine them, and I hand him the apple and he still peels it in one rind. And I'm like, okay, maybe he remembers a little bit. And we put it in the oven and it comes out perfectly, but the entire time it just doesn't feel the same. Because even though he's there with me, he's not completely capable of being there like he used to be. And so fast forward to this year, it's about three years later, and I'm on my way to work, and I remember that it's going to be Thanksgiving, and so I call my mom, and I tell her that I need her to pick up the five freshest Granny Smith apples, and then a few hours later, she calls me again, and she goes, Luna, your grandfather was just admitted to the hospital. He needs to get um, a small, minimal surgery. He's going to be fine but we're going to have Thanksgiving in the hospital this year. And my first reaction was, oh, my God, is he going to be okay? But then my second reaction was, what about the apple cake? (laughs) And so I knew that everyone was really worried about him, and so I figured that I would just make the apple cake by myself this year so that that way I could just bring a little bit of comfort to the family. And I get home, and I'm looking at the apples, and I just completely forget everything. I don't remember if he does slivers for the apples or chunks, if they're big or if they're small, and I'm testing one with one apple, and I definitely can't peel it in one rind. And then the entire time as I'm mixing everything together, I'm just doubting myself. I'm like, this is going to taste horrible. It's not going to look the same. And As I'm putting in the oven, I'm just like, this doesn't have his touch. He's not by my side. This cake will not be the same because what made it so special was him being there, was us being able to make it together, and he couldn't do that this time. And so as soon as it comes out of the oven, I'm like, we're not bringing it. This is not the cake. 
we're not bringing it. But of course, my mother insists. And so we pack it in the bag and we're on our way to the hospital. And as we enter, it's cold and it smells like medicine. But as we get to my grandfather's room, everyone's surrounding him and creating some warmth. And I try to discreetly hide the bag behind my back. But my grandmother sees and she goes, what do you have there, Luna? And I hand her the bag and she pulls out the apple cake. And then she tells my grandfather, look, Luna made apple cake. And he looks down at the cake and then he looks back up at me and he smiles. And I just feel this rush of memories flowing back to him of every time we've made it together. And in that moment, even though he was in the hospital, it felt like we had made it together. We had done it once again. Thank you. That was Luna Askarin. When asked how their younger self would describe them now, Luna said, my younger self would describe me as someone adventurous and brave who takes advantage of every opportunity that comes her way. If you want to see a photo of Luna and her grandfather making a cake together, we'll have that on our website, themoth.org grown. We'll also have more information on our storytellers, bonus content, links to follow us, and all that good stuff. Up next, we'll have a story all about dinner parties. But first, Luna's story has got me thinking about food and our relationship with it away from home. Aliza, we've both moved out. Uh, has your relationship changed uh, with food? Yeah, I think my relationship with food has changed in the way that before moving out, it was the one thing that brought me and my family together in the evening. Because I was kind of the cook at the house a little bit because my mom cooked for us most of my life. So then I was like, okay, I'll like cook while I'm in my 20s and at home. Um, and now that I'm on my own and most evenings it's just me because my, my roommate's working, um, it's different. Eating alone is a little bit different. <laughs> um, having to buy my own yeah. groceries is a little bit different. Whoa, big game changer. Yeah. That it, was a game changer. You realize how much money I did not, it is. I did not. I mean, I did, but like— not when you're paying rent as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there something you specialize in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely love cooking things that my mom cooked me as a kid uh, and bringing my own twist to it. Um, and also, like, I like being told by my grandparents that I'm a good cook because it makes me feel like their legacy lives on or whatever mm -hmm. through food. Because um, I don't speak the same, like, language as my, you know, my grandparents did or they do. They speak English, but they also speak other languages that I don't speak. So the thing that I feel like they really passed down to me was food and culture. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I have a very scattered family all over the place. But, like, on Christmas and Thanksgiving, we'll gather. And it's just, like, always, like, you know, something. They know, like, the the version of siblings that are—my mom's in, like, her, her 60s. So it's, like— <laughs> They're set they in stone. Yeah, it's set in stone. Like, they, whatever they got going on, that battle's been going on for, like, years, you know? Mm. But, yeah. And it happens at the dinner table. It happens at the dinner table. Yeah. So, uh, congrats on the new place. Thank you. I heard you going to your first adult dinner party. Yeah, yeah. I am going to my first adult dinner party, and— you know, I moved out of my family's house like three weeks ago now and um, got an invite to a, a dinner party. And like, you know, I've had dinner with friends, but like feeling like an adult and all my friends are kind of moving out of their parents' place too. And 
being invited to a dinner party, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm moving on to like the grown up oh, phase yeah. of my it's life happening. where we have like dinner parties and talk about like French films or whatever adults are supposed to do. But um, but then they asked me to bring like all of our silverware because they didn't have enough. And I was like, oh, wait, we're actually still trying to figure this out. It's <laughs> happening. Wow. Silverware. <laughs> they were like, sorry, we only got a set of six from Ikea. So can you bring your Ikea set of six? And then I think we'll have enough for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Ikea set. <laughs> awesome. It's official. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Speaking of first dinner parties, here's Lou Levin with a story that will leave you hungry for more. At the beginning of my senior year of high school, my English teacher tells the class that we're going to set aside one day a week to ignore our course curriculum and just work on an individual project of our own creation and design. So some kids are like researching politics, some want to make the world a better place. I decide that I'm going to spend September to June learning to be an adult. And I'm going to embark on that cultural journey by making a list of adult tasks and completing them one by one and seeing if I feel more mature after. So essentials on my list included things like cooking a meal, reading the newspaper, listening to NPR. <laughs> and... It all sounded so simple, and it seemed like it would be so useful. I was going to go to college in August. I was like, growing up seems really hard. Let's expedite this process, <laughs> get it out of the way. But senioritis hits, and I don't do a single thing all year, which would have been fine, but the end of the year meant that I had to present my final project to my class, and I had no proof of my personal growth at all. <laughs> So I say, okay, I have to do something big. I'm going to throw a dinner party. <laughs> and I ask my parents, um, okay, you know I'm doing this project. I've really put it off for a while. Do you mind if I use the first floor of our house to throw a dinner party? And they say yes. And they're going to eat takeout upstairs during the meal like adults do. But I don't know that yet. So I text all of my friends and I say, all right, guys, I'm on an academic deadline to grow up. And we're coming on the last, like, week and a half. It's May. So I'm going to cook a three-course meal, come over. It's going to be the cultural event of the school year. <laughs> Please dress business casual. And after an afternoon of cooking, all of my friends file in in their button-up shirts and their dresses and their skirts looking like the young professionals I dreamed of having at my table. And the dinner went pretty smoothly, but I was a stressed host. I got really nervous when Vishal looked like he really didn't like the arugula salad that I made. I nearly burned my garlic. Um, a friend asked if I wanted help plating when I was in the weeds, and I said yes, but in my head I was like, 
you really don't understand the fucking point that I'm supposed to take on too much and still get it all done. At one point, my senior prom date, who was very smart, asked if we were only allowed to talk about world affairs and cinema and things like that during the meal. And I was like, oh, in my head, I was like, I haven't read the New York Times these past nine months like I said I would. We can't do that. And I was like, no, let's just, let's not pretend. We're still in high school after all. Ha ha, who's enjoying things? After everyone left, I experienced a type of joy that I think you really have to grow up to understand. Um, having leftovers in the fridge and getting to be alone after hours of not having that. <laughs> so my piece de resistance was finished, but then I needed a rest of a year of proof, and thus began my frantic afternoon of putting together luthriesadulting.tumblr.com, <laughs> featuring posts like why we should all know the different cuts of beef on a cow, and how listening to Ira Glass bridged the cultural and generational divide between my parents and I. I remember sitting frantically at my computer keyboard, thinking of friends that had told me they'd gone through hard times and had to grow up quickly, and I was going to present to my class in like a day and a half. I was like, I know exactly what they mean now. <laughs> um, I ended up getting a 90 on my project. <laughs> Thank you, big win. <laughs> and now, four years later, I'm about to graduate college. And I kind of wish that younger Lou had given her tasks a little bit more thought. <laughs> I wish I knew how to budget better. I wish I knew how to take care of myself better. But I also think back to one of the things that younger Luce said during her presentation and speech to the class after everything was over. She cited the definition of adult, which was a person who was fully grown and developed. And she, bullshitting, said, you know, if an adult is a person who's fully grown and developed, like, I never want to be an adult. I want to keep learning. <laughs> There's so much growth to be had. I just need to keep going. And maybe I just don't have my shit together right now. Probably. But I still see a little bit of truth in that. And honestly, when I think back on it, younger Lou actually did one of the most adult things she could have done when she was a senior in high school. She was lying about feeling like a grown-up for as long as she could without getting caught. <laughs> Thank you. That was Lou Levin. When asked how their younger self would describe them now, Lou said, my younger self would describe me as a lovable mess with main character syndrome. That's great. To see a photo of the ziti Lou baked for their dinner party, you know where to go, themoth.org slash grown. There's something about food. The smell of it, it brings back memories. You taste the right brisket, and suddenly you're flooded with waves of nostalgia. So we headed to the streets of New York City to hear about people's relationships with food and memory. Here's David Lebelstadt. Hi, I'm David, and we are here today at Brooklyn's Prospect Park 
where they have a massive food festival each weekend. Right where I'm standing alone, I'm seeing so many different kinds of delicious looking food. I'm seeing smash burgers, Japanese vegetable pancakes, Sicilian rice balls, empanadas, New Orleans po'boys. Really everything you can think of is here. So for my first question, it's what is the best meal you've ever had in your life? Not an easy one, so I'll give you a second to think this one over. The best meal I have is something I have every Christmas. It's a traditional Guyanese meal called pepper pot. Um, and it's something that we only eat like around the holidays. And it's dark and it's like like a stew, but it's not a stew. It's so hard to describe. But once you see it, your mouth starts to water and you're just you're so, so happy because it's Christmas and there's like a bread that goes with it. And any Guyanese person who heard this would be like thinking about it and they'd understand what I mean. Um, the best one maybe, okay, I was raised uh, in Réunion Island, which is a, a French island in the Indian Ocean. And we have uh, what we call curry. And uh, to me, the chicken curry, the curry poulet, is really the best one because I eat it with my family and my beloved one. It's because it's like a La Madeleine de Proust, you know? It's, it's, it reminds you of all your memories. And I think the taste it is linked with your memories, actually. You know, it's funny, it's an interesting question. I don't know that the best meal I've ever had is necessarily the best food I've ever had. But I can remember as a kid, in, on my birthday, I was always allowed to pick what I wanted. And so my mom would make lasagna with garlic bread, and those meals were just so sensational. Grandma's just, I just so remember good. those meals. Lauren just remembered grandma's, grandma's lasagna, something special? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's really, she really good. She recently passed away, so... That's a nice memory to think about her. Yeah. And, and in some way, like, you'll always remember that, what that first bite tastes like of the lasagna. So it's a, such a special way of keeping people alive in our memories. Yeah. That, that's so true. And, and I'm so glad that my, my daughter got to experience that. Um, because again, my mom just passed away recently. So it's so nice that she has that memory too. Are there any other like special traditions that your family has around food that speak to you or that have created some of these special memories? Um, yeah, we, my mom's side of the family is very proudly Danish and like their favorite thing is to cook these spritz cookies where like you just roll out the dough with this little machine and then like you have this long, I don't know, doughy thing and you just cut up and have these little cookies. Sounds delicious. <laughs> I've got to look up a spritz cookie. Yeah, they're, you know, they're good. The great thing about this interview, I'm learning about so many different types of food. You're like, you know, you probably have like a roster of food. After this, I'm going to get, I'm going to make a big feast and I'll invite everyone with your emails and then we'll eat all the food together. Okay, perfect. Well, Eliza, I can't think of a food pun to end this episode. So why don't you just tell me what the next episode is about? That's surprising, Fonzo, but sure. Next episode, we're going to be exploring the skin we're in. Here's a clip. Maybe I could find this, this kind of like self-love of my body to really love it, not just to tolerate it and feel neutral about it, but to love it. Hey, if you want to share food pics with us, you can find us on our TikTok or Instagram at GrownPod. And remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller passionate about using the power of storytelling for the social good. If she wasn't hosting this podcast and had no student loan debt, she'd own the best restaurant in Queens with the best risotto you've ever had. 
Alfonso Lacayo is a Moth alumni from the Bronx, New York. He's passionate, creative, and makes music. And if he's not hosting this podcast, you can find him putting essential oils in his hair. Groan's senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and Groan's senior producer is Mark Solinger. That's me. With support from the Moth's education and artistic teams, as well as our executive producer, Sarah Austin Janess. Luna Asgrain's story was directed by Jody Powell, with additional coaching by Nico Williams, Dihan Hossein, and Melissa Brown. Lou Levin's story was directed by Chloe Salmon. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the work of the Moss education team, Melissa Brown, Anna Stern, and Devin Elise Wilson, as well as our instructors, past and present. Mixing is by Davey Sumner, with original music and sound design by Davey Sumner and Luke Williams. We're grateful to former producer Julia Purcell, intern K.A. Carter, our teen focus group, and everyone who was kind enough to send us audio for our montages. The rest of the Moss leadership team includes Sarah Haberman, Catherine Burns, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Kluche, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, Inga Glodowski, and Aldi Kaza. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by the storytellers. Grown is presented by PRX. Ever wonder why we want to tell complete strangers our personal secrets? Or what a CIA spy can teach you about keeping things close to the chest? Read about this and see other fascinating articles on secrets in Grown's Pocket Collection. Pocket is a website and app that finds the most thought-provoking articles from trusted sources all around the internet and puts them in one place. With Pocket, you can keep and find new articles to read, save articles for later, and even have your saved articles read aloud to you. If you want to dig deeper into this secret-worthy episode of Grown, head over to Pocket and check out our collection at getpocket.com slash grown.